While video game culture usually paints a picture of an isolated basement gnome staring blankly at a screen for hours at a time, modern gaming has become a largely collaborative experience, as technology connects gamers from different backgrounds, cultures, and experiences to a vast social network. And as these social webs grow, the industry is reckoning with some long-standing social issues, like sexism and harassment, and the idea that the gaming world is only welcome to white guys. Pushing for diversity and taking on misconduct, modern gaming looks to level the playing field so that more players can finally be seen and heard. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about the recent allegations of misconduct against some of the biggest names in the competitive Super Smash Brothers scene. As top players face sexual abuse accusations, a movement from within has triggered long overdue conversations about how the gaming community needs to grow up or disappear. Our second story looks at how the video game industry aims to address its long-standing lack of diversity. Looking to reverse a history of casting white talent for non-white characters, developers are seeking to be more inclusive, and actors of color in video games are finally finding opportunities to play heroes and villains who share their backgrounds. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, as the competitive Super Smash Brothers scene faces various allegations of misconduct, a look at the future of the fighting game community as it begins to make some key changes in the present. Holy freaking cow, people. The FGC is up in flames. The Me Too movement has recently moved over to gaming in general. And now it's hit the Smash competitive gaming scene. The environment of Smash created what some people would call monsters. There's been extremely serious allegations about members of the Smash community and the FGC. Including Zero, Evo CEO, Hungrybox. Naro got called out. Keitaro got called out of sexual abuse. D1, Cinepie, prominent figures in the Smash community. It's really sad. Lots of people from all ages looked up to these people. The Smash Bros. community, what the F is going on? In early July 2020, the competitive Super Smash Bros. scene imploded after a barrage of sexual misconduct allegations flooded social media. Some of the game's biggest names were accused of sexual assault, rape, harassment, and the grooming of underage players. Ultimately, more than 50 people came forward. Sparking a movement of change, they essentially created long overdue conversations about how the community needs to change in order to root out this rampant abuse. Since its launch in November 2001, Nintendo's hugely popular fighting game evolved from small groups of obsessed gamers into enormous tournament events with thousands of players from around the world. The Smash community became what it is because Smash fans took it upon themselves to build up that scene. And the competitive Smash scene has long prided itself on these grassroots origins. However, in recent weeks, the pro Smash scene has become a real-time experiment in how a self-governed gaming community can ensure a safe space for everyone involved. Now, tournament organizers, top players, and content creators have been forced to come together to think up ideas on how to reshape the Smash community. Let's get more. Joining the podcast now is video games writer for Inverse, Danny Paez. So for someone removed possibly from the gaming world, um, can you first explain what's been going on? As you write in your piece, it's been a historically traumatic year for fans and players of Super Smash Brothers. What's been happening? Uh, Yeah, so back in July, there was this really big outpour of uh, 
victims that have sort of been silent for years uh, and there are reports of sexual assault or just grooming of minors in the community by either really well-known content creators or in many cases just professional Smash Bros players that were, you know, sort of praised in the community and seen as celebrities. How have organizations within the Smash community been addressing these accusations? The Smash community is sort of special in the way that there's not like one big organization that sort of runs everything. Historically, it's been a very sort of like grassroots sort of esports uh, community since Nintendo sort of pushes or builds the game as a family kids game. But there's like a very like devout community of players that play professionally. Um, and so it's been sort of just like a very piecemeal reaction to all of this. It's either like esports organizations that sponsor uh, events and all that have sort of uh, spoken out and um, established tip lines that anyone could anonymously, you know, write into to report uh, if there's any like, you know, suspicious activities by someone in a at an event. Uh, and for the most part, it's just been the community sort of like um, making sure the, that people that do experience the, these sort of things are more comfortable coming out and speaking out about it. And, uh, you know, they don't have to be afraid to sort of like face backlash by these sort of uh, celebrities or, you know, big content creators and stuff like that. There hasn't been one concrete uh, sort of like official response, though. It's been sort of just like these little blips of change. What's notable is how COVID-19 was kind of a catalyst of sorts to bring these issues to the surface. Can you talk a little bit about how the pandemic played this crucial role and how this all panned out? Uh, yeah, totally. So I, I spoke to a professional Smash player named Samuel DeBuzz Busby. And yeah, he told me that he believed that since many or all in-person Smash events are, you know, indefinitely canceled until, you know, the pandemic gets more under control, Many of these victims felt more more comfortable speaking out just because, you know, there was no fear of running into their abusers at these events. Being surrounded by all these people can sometimes, you know, pressure people into not speaking. So that was probably the biggest factor that sparked this outflow of uh, victims speaking out. And this comes at a time when the wider gaming industry is seeing all kinds of controversies, abuses of different kinds. It's something that's been brewing in different ways. Do you see what's happening right now as a time of reckoning where a self-governing gaming industry can step up and try to ensure safer spaces for everyone involved? Yeah, totally. It was disheartening to see happen as a fan of Smash Bros. for many years. I followed a lot of people that were called out. So definitely it was not it was not fun to go through. But there was a, a whole part of this video game scene that I had no idea that was happening. And, you know, thousands of fans had no idea that was happening. So it's good that it got aired out. And now the community needs to definitely get its act together and make sure that all of its events are much safer. They have to protect the miners that play this game. And if they want a shot at continuing what they had before, they definitely need to ensure that all events moving forward are way, way safer than they used to be. Where does Nintendo come in? Um, you know, where do they stand? Do they take a stand? Have they? Or I guess I'm just curious to see if they further address what's been going on or how they might in light of these most recent events. What's your sense of that? They they actually did uh, give issued a statement to IGN, which is um, fairly fairly on the rare side for them. They've been very like sort of 
detached from the uh, professional Smash community. Like I said before, they build a game as more of like a family-friendly game and less as like a competitive, you know, like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat-esque fighting game. But in light of all these victims speaking out, Nintendo did make a statement saying that they stood with the victims and sort of um, said that the actions that were exhibited by these abusers were impermissible. But again, they sort of just said what happened was bad and we you know we weren't involved and definitely don't agree with any of this but they didn't really take any action again nintendo has always been sort of at arm's length from the pro smash scene for like at a business standpoint the you know they want the game to be sort of more family friendly less super competitive and now that all of this has come out the general sentiment in the smash community is that Nintendo will have even less reason to involve itself further uh, in the in the pro smash scene which really puts the sort of burden to clean up the community like in in the hands of the community itself Right. And that kind of speaks to, um, I guess, the scrappy history of these gaming events, like you were just saying. I mean, it has that appeal, yet it has that glaring lack of infrastructure. And I guess that will have to be what happens, right? These, the Smash community will have to take matters into its own hands. You know, I guess the question is, is how? How do you see, ultimately, um, it attempting to do that? Uh, yeah, so the primary means that they're going about doing that now is definitely through anonymous tip lines where basically attendees can, you know, write in if they uh, experience or see any suspicious activities by anyone that attends uh, uh, Smash events. But the pro Smash player that I spoke to, DeBuzz, he mentioned that there's going to be probably like sweeping bans on all like alcohol at events. Um, and he even mentioned the introduction of maybe like just a wristband policy, clear distinction between who's interacting with who and there's no sort of like confusion there. But uh, the issue still remains of just like the camaraderie in this community in general. Like I feel like a lot of these abuses maybe didn't happen at the event uh, at the events themselves, but sort of happen in like, you know, the after parties or, you know, like people would stay over other people's homes, like, you know, so they could spend the weekend at this event and then crash there. So there's still that issue that will need to be dealt with. But again, hopefully now that the community has gone through this sort of moment of reckoning, um, the leaders of the community sort of step up and set a good example of how people that either are pros in the scene or, you know, influential content creators like should act around like people that aren't right yeah it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out for more details listeners can head to inverse.com in the meantime danny thanks so much thanks as the entertainment industry seeks to be more inclusive non-white actors in video games are finding new casting opportunities that match their backgrounds up next Asian-American actors reveal to Inverse why video games can create change faster than any other medium. All of these white voice actors stepping down from black roles. Actresses Jenny Slate and Kristen Bell have quit their voice role jobs as black characters. More white guilt is going on in the world. Producers of The Simpsons said they will no longer have white actors voicing non-white characters. And Family Guy star Mike Henry tweeted that he is stepping down from the role of Cleveland Brown. Maybe they're being pressured to step down. In response to the systemic racism that has touched multiple industries. 
slowly, things are changing for voice actors of color, and there are a few things the video game industry are starting to learn from movies and TV. In the wake of recent Black Lives Matter protests, the animation industry is finally reckoning with the practice too. Case in point, Kristen Bell and Jenny Slate recently left their roles voicing black characters on Central Park and Big Mouth, respectively. The Simpsons have announced they would stop using white actors for non-white characters. And Mike Henry, who voiced the black character Cleveland Brown on Family Guy, revealed he's stepping down from his role as well. As the entertainment industry seeks to be more inclusive, non-white actors in video games are finding more opportunities to play heroes and villains who share their backgrounds. We barely won last time. The enemy is out there, adapting and getting stronger. If I make a mistake and the Kishin get through us, we lose everything. You may recognize that voice as D.Va from the best-selling game Overwatch. The voice actress who portrays her, Charlotte Chung, recently told Inverse's Eric Francisco, who joins us in a moment, how many Asian video game voice actors hope their authentic portrayals offer a form of representation that movies and TV lack. Since in gaming, by just having that control and seeing through the eyes of video game avatars in first-person games, it's an experience that other mediums can't match. While the video game industry has been criticized as an overwhelmingly white and male industry, these days, Asian-Americans who pursue video game voice acting see things slowly diversifying and are hopeful about a new sense of empowerment among their peers. Here to talk about this growing movement and how video games can further create authenticity in choosing the right voices is Inverse's Eric Francisco. Hey, Eric. Hi, thanks for having me, Tanya. Of course. So first off, let's talk about how it's been throughout the years. The demographics, let's call it, of employees in the video game industry. Is it fair to say that it has a history of perhaps casting white talent for non-white characters? Yes, the video game industry, kind of like early Hollywood, would all often cast white actors for um, Asian or ethnic voice roles. Uh, the reason being is because the voice acting, uh, let's call it the industry, is kind of very tight-knit. So they kind of just hire who they know can do the job. Um, and it's very closed off compared to even uh, traditional Hollywood. So yeah, a lot of the casting directors in video games would just cast uh, whoever they knew could do the job. And sometimes that was often white people, more often than not. Um, and of course, video games being fantasy universes, they would often have maybe ethnic characters. You know, we're talking ninjas, we're talking uh, martial artists, um, all sorts of fantasy characters, uh, but they were often voiced by white actors. What do you think is changing in the current climate? You know, um, how do you think it's harvesting this change where, you know, we can start to see a difference? Do you think that the entertainment industry, you know, there's gaming, but the broader entertainment industry really seems like it is going through a certain change. And, and here we are again, kind of talking about things moving forward. There has been movements, uh, plural, <laughs> uh, that, that, that encouraged uh, greater diversity in casting, even in voiceover roles, be it animation, video games, where theoretically uh, what you look like does not matter. Um, it actually very much matters. I interviewed several uh, Asian voice actors who brought an authenticity to the roles that uh, no one who was not of that descent uh, could, could not deliver. The Heroes of Overwatch, a very popular uh, uh, online sh uh, video game, 
No, it's got a great diversity of characters from all regions of the world. Uh, they appropriately casted those characters uh, with people who shared those backgrounds. And as a result, you you have these lively characters that feel authentic, even when they're shooting lightning out of their hands, pretty much. But there is not one watershed moment. There have been greater calls for awareness for um, appropriate casting uh, when it comes to uh, uh, certain characters. Uh, one of the biggest moments was uh, the hashtag uh, uh, Oscar's so white. Critics pointed out how white the Oscars were. That moment kind of kicked off a greater conversation about whitewashing, which was practiced early on in Hollywood, but uh, unfortunately still found instances later on in 21st century Hollywood. Do you think that there's something about the video game industry in particular that might lend itself to bringing forth change quicker? You know, it's that immersive experience. It's different than other types of entertainment. Do you think there's a special foothold here, perhaps? There is. As you pointed out, the difference between video games and other form, other entertainment mediums is that players get to immerse themselves quite literally in, in these characters in a ways that even books and movies do not. It, that really calls to mind just how uh, authentic these characters ought to be per- portrayed. Um, it depends on the specific games. Not more, some games allow a greater narrative more than others. Overwatch, for example, the story ends when the match ends. But there are other video games out there that contain a more complete journey. Um, certainly, there's a lot of role-playing games that allow you to really be whoever you want to be. In these, there is a real opportunity to enlighten people what proper representation looks like. Um, Again, you can be I can be of, uh, you can be of any race controlling any character, uh, but the fact that the Asian character you're playing is voiced by an Asian actor and is bringing their experience to that role, it just enriches the the experience in a ways that again you're not going to get from just watching characters uh, in a play, a movie, or a TV show. You know, one thing that you wrote about in in your piece, it wasn't until they started trying to cast an actual Asian person in the role of an Asian that they started getting hired. Do you think just the more people see the authenticity, the more people see the realness of it, the more we'll get out of it, the more that things will change? Absolutely. Besides the uh, outside pressures of, of of Hollywood movies and TV doing the same the video games are going to follow suit it's going to become a norm in video games if it's not already i think it's already the norm to be honest with you Uh, i think a lot of people are more hyper aware of representation in video games there's a wide breadth of talent available for video games a lot of diverse talent so yes it's going to become the norm if it's not already you're already seeing a lot of marginalized characters there's an upcoming video game a narrative video game called tell me why it's coming soon to the xbox one it's from don't not entertainment the game uh, tells the story of two siblings. One of them is trans. Uh, that actor, uh, that character, is played by a trans actor, August Black. And uh, August Black talked to Glad about why the representation matters, why it can, why taking care of this aspect of video game production just matters so much. What it boils down to is just you want to tell rich stories, and you're not going to do that by hiring the wrong people for the job. You got to get people who understand the intrinsic experience, even if it's a fantasy universe, even if it's like an impossible world that doesn't actually exist. When you're representing people who do exist, you got to get the right actors for that job. I think it's a good note to leave it on. And yeah, we're certainly in a time of change. This is a really interesting look at what's going on. So Eric, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Tanya, thanks for having me. Head to Inverse.com to read more about the latest in all things gaming culture. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. 
If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.